I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up, talk about our voting experience as we went to the polls early this week. And then we've got a special extended podcast this week interviewing two guests. First is China Dickerson, who's a national political advisor for Forward Majority, and the Honorable Brad Henry is going to join us later on in the podcast, the former Democratic governor of the state of Oklahoma. So stay tuned. Autumn, did you go to the polls this week? You know, actually, well, actually, (laughs) I mailed my ballot um, last, I guess a week and a half ago. I just wanted to make sure it got there. We decided to vote by mail. We've been doing that since the pandemic began. We've had a couple of, you know, just local kind of votes. And so that's that's what we did. We put two Santa Claus st- uh, stamps on them and just hoped for the best. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to ask what you wish for uh, when you put those <laughs> stamps on there. <laughs> uh, well, good. Yeah, I was, uh, my family and I uh, decided to uh, do mail-in voting as well. But uh, here in Oklahoma, we've got some ID issues. So we're switching to the real ID. Uh, so we're a little bit concerned that there might be an issue there. So we decided to go ahead and get our uh, ballots notarized and then took them down to the election board. And it was quite the sight because in Oklahoma, this uh, past Thursday was the first day for early voting. And it was remarkable to see so many people lined up in the freezing cold with uh, a, a gust of wind that was probably blowing somewhere between 30 to 40 miles an hour, standing in line, ready to cast their vote and do their civic duty. Made my heart putter it was uh it was really really cool yeah it was i drove by earlier just in transporting children and the line was wrapped around the the fairgrounds where the cleveland county uh, election board is and it's just it's so fitting i think of 2020 that i was driving through norman we experienced a strange october ice storm and my husband made the comment you know we're we're pretty accustomed to having tornadoes come through this area and usually there's a path and this ice storm has been more destructive I think than most tornadoes we see and it's all over town so Norman looks like a war zone Main Street doesn't even have power um, our children have been out of school all week except for Monday I mean it is it is just the paradox of you know total chaos and the people standing in line to vote and I think everyone sort of has the same sentiment which is let's can it please just be over Please, over. <laughs> right. I mean, and we're not the only ones facing it. In fact, uh, Hurricane uh, Zeta made landfall yesterday in New Orleans and is now sweeping across the southeast. Uh, our offices in Georgia are actually down today. Some of our employees without power. Uh, and so it's just like, yeah, this is pretty fitting. A uh, week uh, outside of Election Day, uh, ice storms and hurricanes and uh-huh. uh, all kinds of craziness happening. But again, like you just said a moment ago, it was so cool to see so many people standing in line, ready to cast their ballots uh, in this election. And, um, you know, whatever, however this turns out next week, it is so uh, inspiring to see so many people engaged. The most powerful tool we have as citizens of the United States is our vote. And so exercise it. Still have a couple of days left before the election. If you haven't uh, practiced early voting or mail-in voting on Tuesday, get your rear end out of bed and get to the polls early so that you can cast your vote. Please. Absolutely. Well, like I said, we've got an extended version of our podcast today going into election week. I've got two wonderful guests, China Dickerson uh, is uh, just an outstanding young leader uh, in this country and and doing some really good things, engaging in politics. So you want to stay tuned and listen to her. We talk a little with her about voter suppression. And then later on in the pod, uh, we got a second interview, the Honorable Brad Henry, former Democratic governor of Oklahoma, just a really, really genuine, kind and nice person. So you want to stay tuned for that interview as well. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, we have a very special guest with us, China Dickerson. She is the national political director for a political organization called Forward Majority. Originally from Charleston, South Carolina, China was almost, she has served almost two decades working in areas of political campaigns, community development, and the federal government. She began her career as a high school student working in her congressman's district office. She later moved to Washington, D.C. to attend Howard University School of Law. 
China, I know there's lots going on in the world today. And as a political strategist, I am certain you are very busy. So thank you and welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're so glad that you're here. And um, are you healthy in all this pandemic time? I know D.C. was hit a little bit earlier than the rest of the country. So how are, how are you handling that? Yeah, things are things are good on my end. You know, there's a lot going on in the country in addition to the pandemic, including an election. (laughs) Another young black guy Mm -hmm. interacting with the police. What was that yesterday, day before yesterday? So there's just a lot of things going on. But I haven't had um, my brother got COVID some a while ago, but he's young and strong. Um, so he didn't, you know, it didn't hit him too badly, but everyone else has been pretty healthy. And so if I, every day I wake up with a cough, I'm like, oh my God, I have COVID. <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> I smell the coffee, so it's not COVID. That's right. my test, so <laughs> uh, well, we're glad that you are, we're healthy, that you're healthy and that your family's doing well and your brother's recovered from COVID. Well, as a political strategist, I know you're extremely busy these days and, um, you know, I just, you mentioned so much going on in the country. We've talked about the pandemic a little bit, but you mentioned uh, certainly the upri- uprising is not the correct word or term. I really want to call it a, a revolution that's taking place across the country regarding racial justice. Um, is it just me or are there so many issues and topics at play in this election cycle more so than there ever has been? And they're like life altering issues that people are grappling with. Yeah. I mean, listen, when, when I, there's always a lot going on around us, right? There's like you mentioned um, the, the revolution, I think as it relates to, um, you know, racial tension as it relates to gender equity. You know, Ruth Bader, um, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg just passed. Mm-hmm. So we just had this nomination and confirmation of um, Amy <clears throat> Comey Barrett. And the election is happening. COVID is happening. But I will tell you, when I advise candidates, I still say to them, People are mostly concerned. I don't care what aisle, what, what what side of the aisle you sit on, what your political affiliation. It's still about health care and jobs and how do are my kids going back to school? Will I have enough money to do this or do that? So while all of these things are happening around us, not much has changed since George Washington, <laughs> where people <laughs> are just wanting to figure out how am I going to be able to take care of my family, right? Um and, and so that is the question that people are always trying to answer in the midst of everything else that's going on. Um, so I do think, again, regardless of your political affiliation and even your wealth or your class or your race or your geography, everyone is like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? Right. And that is such a good word and such a, a, a right on point because, you know, I've got all this stuff swirling around. And a lot of times we talk about the larger issues, such as the pandemic, about police reforming, uh, about the Supreme Court. And the reality is I spent most of my day yesterday trying to stop a leak from an ice storm, (laughs) you know, and worried about how in the world am I going to come up with the money to repair this leak that I have in my roof now. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of times we do get lost in these larger issues and to refocus on the everyday issues that matter the most to people, just trying to, to get by and to live their life. And that's, that's such an important word. Thank you for that. Does it- it's, not, it's not sexy to talk about how much milk costs. You know <laughs> what I mean? So politicians don't want to get up on the stage and talk about, you know, the fact that teachers have to pay for their own school supplies, a lot of them, you know, for mm-hmm. the children. Like, that's just not sexy to talk about. So, you know, we talk about COVID and racial, defund the police. You know, that is the thing that's going to gain the attention of Republicans, Democrats, everyone. So that's what you talk about. But in reality, even though interaction with the police might not might is a priority for a lot of people, the bigger priority is what's happening inside my house. Can I feed my kids? Mm-hmm. Right. And so all of these things are happening at the same time, but the key issues, all of us, all of us have to go through. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It reminds me a little bit of when you're on an airplane and they advise you 
like if you're traveling with a small child, put your own mask on first and then help others around you. I think a lot of us are still just in a pandemic survival mode. You know, survival for different people looks different, you know, obviously, but I think you're exactly right. That's right. So uh, speaking of the pandemic, we are entering the third wave, fifth wave, seventh wave. I don't know. It seems like the wave never really stopped, to be quite honest with you. (laughs) We're at the baseball game at this point, right? Um, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows admitted this week the administration has given up on trying to control the virus. But then I've also seen a headline that they also defeated the virus. Oh, that's why they've given up, because they defeated it. I didn't realize that. They defeated it. Um, so instead, they're now focusing on controlling the distribution of the vaccine. Uh, what went wrong, China, with the management of this pandemic? And do you think the pandemic will affect the election and voter turnout? Uh, well, let me answer your second question first, because I think that's easier. I think it will not. Well, I, 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 let me put it this way. I thought it would. But we are now seeing the numbers of, of you know, votes being casted and it's. I mean, it's, I don't know what's going to happen on election day, but it is already, for example, in Texas, more people have voted already in Texas than the total number of people who voted for Trump in 2016 in Texas. So wow. already more people have voted. Um, and that's just in one state. So I think in North Carolina, the number is now three times as, as many people have voted um, than at this same day last, last in 2016. So folks are really getting out the vote. So my answer to your second question is no, it, it has <laughs> impacted. Again, I thought it, it, it would have, but we're already seeing larger numbers than we did um, years prior. What went wrong? Listen, I think, and I'll just be transparent, I'm a Democrat. Mm-hmm. But if I am to be fair, which I try to be, Nothing like this has happened since whenever the, the, the flu was back in 1901 or, or you know, whenever that we, we, the Spanish flu that we compare this to um, a lot of times. But nothing has happened in recent history like this. And if I'm honest, I am not sure even how a Democrat would have handled it, right? Mm-hmm. The word on the street is that the Obama administration had already been planning for something like this to happen. This had a sort of contingency plan. But... This is something that you can't really control, right? Because people, as we know now, they're going to do what they want to do. They're going to wear their mask, not going to wear their mask. You know, it's it's we live in a country of you can kind of do what you want to do, right? right. Um, but I do think what could be happening that is different is from the outset, setting the tone and the culture, right? So you as a leader, whether it be president of the United States, governor, mayor, you know, whatever your leadership position is, you always wearing your mask and you always adhering to the policies or the recommendations of the CDC. That I think is the biggest thing um, that could have been done differently. But as far as like shutting things down, when do we shut it down? With the logistics of it, I'm not sure any one of us would have known exactly what to do because this has just been such a different thing than any of us have experienced. Yeah. In, yeah. in our city, we have a mayor who is, um, she's a Democrat, she's young, she's pretty forward thinking. And she has, she was pretty out there in the beginning and was wearing her mask, we shut down. A lot of the communities around us who are more rural did not. And I mean, her family was receiving death threats. It was, it was not good. Like, I agree with you that I don't know that there was a win for leadership right now. But you talking about leading by example with, you know, public health recommendations for yourself, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, that's the, I think that's the, that's the thing we all can say, you know, if we have children or if we, you know, our role models or mentors and those, I can't say that I won't make mistakes, but what I can do is, is do the best that I can and, and set an example. Um, And I think that's the only thing that could have been different about how things were handled. Yeah. I think you're completely right. I mean, I think we have never seen like the anything like this before. It is unprecedented. And no matter if there would have been a Democratic president in the White House, um, this was this was uncharted waters for many of us. Um, but at the same time, you look about you look at what's going across the country, and you kind of put your th- you know th- finger on the notion that. Personal responsibility goes a long way in this country. We have freedom, but we also have responsibility with that freedom. 
And what is infuriating to us has been this uh, strident resistance to wear a mask. When we know, we know for a fact that a mask can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. And it's just, it's really infuriating. And I think, you know, especially if I'm a politician, whether I'm a Democrat or Republican, but in particular, if I'm a Republican who are always talking about personal responsibility, um, it's one of their, you know, their, their crying uh, points, uh, whether out on, on the, uh, uh, on the circuit. Um, and they're, they're not, they're, they're talking about personal responsibility, but they're not telling them to wear a mask. They, they say it, but it's kind of with a, a, a wink and a smile kind of a thing. And then they're not mimicking yeah, it. Yeah. It's almost like, <laughs> is, is there was, I don't have children, but it, it seems to me the response, like the children would have, right? Like if you tell them to do, if you mandate, mm-hmm. which I think as a politician is, is likely the way to go. But if you mandate something, if you make something a rule, then people are going to seek to rebel, right? Mm-hmm. Particularly people who feel like the government shouldn't tell me what to do. I should be able to do what I want to do, right? And that's why I mentioned the kind of playing some psychological trickery where you you do the thing, right? And you hope that people will follow along. You set the example. Um, again, this is why I go back to it's, it's a very difficult um, balance beam to walk, but I think the the biggest issue is that our represent our, our our representatives, our leaders, they're not doing the things right. Okay. You show up at rallies and you do it, like that's just not a good example. So you mandate don't attend events that are larger than fifty people, but mm-hmm. then you attend those events. It's very hypocritical, mm-hmm. and so there has to be a level of personal responsibility even for our elected officials, and they're not doing what the CDC has recommended. So you can't expect your constituents to, you know? Sure, absolutely. And because of that, a a public health issue has become very politically polarizing. I can go to the grocery store and tell by the way someone's wearing a mask slash if they're wearing a mask, likely how they're going to vote. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's, um, again, I think it goes, it's it's the child in all of us. It's like, oh, dad told us to do something, so we're not going to do it. Um, in this sense, I, I would also say this, you know, I think, and, and we talked about this with the, when we brought up the racial tension, all of the things happening at once has people just really on edge. Mm-hmm. Like people want to feel like they are in control yeah. of themselves and their lives because nothing else seems to be under control, whether it be what's happening with the postal service, not being sure if they can get the ballots in on time with the racial tensions with the Supreme Court nomination mm-hmm. happening at a weird confirmation happening at a weird time with COVID with loved ones around you who were in great health. Now they're deceased. It's just people don't feel in control. So they're like, okay, what's the one thing I can control? I'm not wearing a mask. Right. I think if we were only experiencing COVID, we would see a difference, but telling someone they can't go outside, they can't be in an event. They can't, no 4th of July, mm-hmm. no picket, picnic, no Memorial Day picnic, no Labor Day picnic, perhaps no Thanksgiving dinner, no Christmas. People are just like, what can I control? And I'm not giving them an excuse. Sure, sure. I'm just saying I can imagine these folks feel like, dang, nothing has happened. My kids are not in school. Like, I, Yeah. That's, a, and that's an excellent point. An excellent, <laughs> excellent point. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, you mentioned uh, voting. And we're going to talk a little bit about that right now. At Good Faith Weekly, we constantly encourage our listeners to educate themselves on issues and candidates and engage in the political process. There is no greater engagement than voting. The late congressman from Georgia, John Lewis, called voting an almost sacred act. For some voters, it can feel like their votes do not matter at times. But they still matter, don't they? Yeah, listen, I, um, your voice matters. We're actually running a campaign um, in Washington, D.C., and it's called Your Your Voice Matters, Your Vote Matters. Your voice matters. So anytime you have the opportunity to say something, and again, it's about setting an example for younger generations, right? Anytime you have the opportunity to be heard, you should do that. Now, voting is like yelling, in a room of a million people, right? Mm-hmm. But at least you said, at least you can say, I said something, 
Mm-hmm. I didn't just stand here and keep and and keep and everyone from from Martin Luther King Jr. Um, to I can't remember his name right now, but some of our I think it's Eli Wiesel. This this not saying anything, being being silent. As you look across our religion, uh, religious practices and social movements, even on both sides of the aisle, Ronald Reagan had. There has been this sense of you can't complain if you don't say anything, and then to take the position of not saying anything, you've actually taken a position, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's true across religions, across political affiliations. You have to say something. As an African American, I understand the apathy. I understand the frustration as a woman. I understand if you're an immigrant, I understand the frustration, but you have to say something. Um, because if change doesn't happen, you can't then turn around and say, oh, well, I said something. I yelled as loudly as I could, right? Right. So that that's true across donate a dollar. You know, there are things that you can always do to participate and to help out. You have to vote. So this is a perfect segue from what you were just speaking about. Um, in light of being, you know, a black woman, uh, what motivates you to stay engaged and to advocate for the issues that you're so passionate about? When sometimes it probably feels like you are yelling at a wall. Oh, Autumn, I I know my history, and there are people who should have been a lot more apathetic and tired than I am, right? And so when you know what your people have been through, um, I just can't, I tell people all the time, if, if, if it's a text message or, yeah, there's a lot of things going on, but I can't complain. How can I complain? I can't complain. I know what other people have gone through for me to be in the position, even though we're not as far as I would like us to be, we are clearly even if an inch further <laughs> than we were, Right. Um, and so there's just no way when I understand what my people have gone through for me to just sit down and cross my legs and say, I'm good, right? I am in this position that I am. I think financially I am super blessed, right? And listen, if Jesus could hang and die on the cross, we know what he went through. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> right. What am I complaining about? I, I, I can't complain. Right. I, have to, I have to keep surjoining forward and and doing the best i can well and what, it's not for me for, for my children for future generations right right you know one of the big issues uh in this election cycle has been the potential of voter suppression from georgia to texas attempts to make voting more difficult seem to be underway the president has even gone recruiting supporters to show up at polling places which seems to be a clear voter intimidation tactic do you think the president and his supporters are intentionally engaging in voter suppression and intimidation? And if so, why are they doing that? I think that uh, voter suppression is systematic. I think what they are intentionally doing, I would say more is like voter intimidation. Mm. I don't know if as an individual, you are intentionally saying, I don't want these people to vote. What you are doing is saying more so vote this way, right? Mm. Like you should not be voting Democrat. You should not be voting Republican. You should go in the other direction, right? Voter suppression, though, is systematic. When we talk about voter ID laws, you know, when we talk about Amendment 4 in Florida, where it's like because you are a returning citizen, because you have a certain degree of charges, of criminal charges, that means that you then don't have a voice. That's ridiculous. Um, when it comes to our postal system, the fact that it's not getting the money that it needs to operate efficiently to get these mail-in ballots in, right? These are all systematic issues. So if you ask a person who goes up to, you know, a poll, a, a voter on election day in the line is as, hey, you know, you need to fill out this paperwork. I don't think the intention is to suppress I do think the intention is to persuade them to go in one direction or the other, but I am recognizing or I'm glad that you recognize and that we should recognize that the systematic issue is actually the bigger issue, not the everyday, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Those issues It's the systematic because we don't get, if we don't get these things out of the system, then the everyday won't even 
it won't matter. Right. Sure. So the election is just days away now, China, and hopefully by uh, this time next week, we will have some indication uh, who's won their state races, uh, their national races, as well as who the next president might be. We still, yeah, we still may not, uh, but at some point we will. Yeah. So whoever the next president is, whether that is President Trump or Vice President Biden, give us some hope. What's what what's going to happen after this election? Because at some point we got to come back together and deal with some very very serious issues. You know, I think now here's the thing I think a lot of people don't talk about regardless of if Trump wins or Biden wins, this will be their last time, right? Mm-hmm. Trump is coming up on a term limit. So if he, if he wins, this is his second term. So he can't run again. Biden is very unlikely uh, because of his age and health and other reasons that he'll run for a second term. Right. So they don't, outside of their moral compass, right, have any reason to do all of the great things because they're not going to run again, right? So it's right. not like they'll have to answer to the people as it relates to being reelected. However, as it has happened with most social movements in the private sector as well, I think we as the people will start to be better to each other. I don't think we will start to be as better as, 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 as I would like us to be, but I think what we are seeing from what is happening is that we can't necessarily give the ball, the entire ball, to our elected officials and say, fix it. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a lane. We have our elected officials. We have activists who burn down buildings. We have the private sector that helps with the economy and keep it going. So I think that's, we have to do the work. We can't just rely 100% on our elected officials. A good example, when the looting and the protesting and the, the rioting and the whatever you call it started happening because of George Floyd, the CEO of Target sent an email. And he said, my stores have insurance. <laughs> like, this is not... right." What do you need, folks? If you need water, if you need to take off from work, if you, whatever we need to do to make sure that justice happens, mm-hmm. then that's what we're going to do. He then, I think a month later or so, decided that Juneteenth would be a federal holiday. Mm-hmm. So you would be able for his store. So not a federal holiday. I'm sorry, a holiday for his store. So you would be able to take off a paid holiday. Um, you would be able to take off as an employee and not be dinged, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the private sector doing the work. The private sector deciding to have more, not just diverse, but inclusive boards, because just to have a black person or a brown person or more women or whoever on your board doesn't mean that they will be heard. So you have to also be inclusive. So I'm just using those examples to say we can't put everything in the hands of the elected officials. We all have work to do. I love that. I love that. Well, China, before we let you go, uh, Autumn has one final question for you that we ask all of our wonderful guests. So, Autumn, take it away. So, our motto at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So, in light of everything we've discussed today, China, what is your more to tell? We, we live in a world, in a country, um, where we've always figured it out. Um, I again, and I, I keep bringing up my my race and my gender because it's important because we all see the world in this country through a different lens, right? We all have unique experiences. But what I will tell you is that regardless of where you come from or what you look like, your sexual orientation, whether you like chocolate ice cream, prefer that to vanilla ice cream. I do not like chocolate ice cream. I prefer <laughs> strawberry ice cream. But <laughs> regardless of your preference in ice cream, I'll go all the way back to the beginning. We all go through the same things. We all are concerned about ourselves, our children, our family, and we always figure it out. We always get better. So I know that the times are rough right now, but I encourage everyone to figure out a way to participate, to help someone, because helping someone will come back to you and your family and our future generations. So just let's be good to each other 
and we'll see movement and get closer to justice. Well, there you have it, folks. China Dickerson, National Political Director for Forward Majority. You are wise, wise, wise. Thank you so much for being a guest here at Good Faith Weekly. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, we have a very, very special guest with us today, the Honorable Brad Henry. Governor Henry is a former two-term governor in Oklahoma. He was elected in 2003 and served until 2011. He is the last Democrat to hold that office in the Sooner State. He graduated from the University of Oklahoma College of Law in 1988 and served as its managing editor of their law review. He hails from Shawnee, Oklahoma, and is married to his wonderful wife, Kim. They have three daughters and how many grandchildren now? Uh, we have one and one on the way. One and one on the way. Well, congratulations. Governor Henry, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thank you very much, Mitch. And Autumn, nice to meet you. It's it's a real pleasure to be here. One of the things, uh, Brad, we're asking all of our guests, uh, obviously we have been in this pandemic for now seven months. It's hard to believe. Uh, but uh, we just want to begin the conversation as we begin every interview, just checking on you, your family, uh, everybody healthy. You had to battle COVID or any of your family members had to battle COVID? Well, thank you very much for asking. Um, yes, right now, everyone in my family is healthy. My uh, oldest daughter, Leah, actually tested positive for COVID-19 back in April. Mm -hmm. And Kim and I, uh, she lives in an apartment here in Oklahoma City. And so Kim and I went and got her and brought her to our house and isolated her on the second floor. And uh, she was pretty sick for about 10 days, 10 or 12 days, never close to going to the hospital, but... Uh, I just knew that Kim and I were going to come down right, sure. with COVID and we've been tested a number of times uh, shortly after that and since, and, and we haven't. So Good. Uh, I think it just goes to show if you, uh, if you practice the appropriate precautions, you can avoid the disease, even if you have someone in your house that, that uh, has it. So what you're saying, you haven't thrown any like, you know, at uh, the Rose Garden, unmask and stuff like that. You're saying that's probably not an appropriate uh, reaction. Yeah, I would say uh, any any uh, fairly significant gathering of crowds, not wearing a mask would be a place you would want to avoid. Smart, smart. No yeah. wonder you're governor of Oklahoma twice. <laughs> a little bit of common sense goes a long way, it turns out. So speaking of your time as governor and sort of the campaigns that led up to that, can you take us inside uh, the process um, and what these campaigns might be going through here in these last few days before folks officially vote? Well, you know, of course, I, I, I ran statewide in Oklahoma, which is very different than running uh, across the nation, of course. Um, but uh, on a sort of a micro scale, uh, there are a lot of similarities. And the last week of the campaign is just really crazy and hectic. And, um, you know, the candidate is being shuttled from event to event to event. Uh, you lose track of time. You almost lose track of what day it is, um, and it, you know it's 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 as though you're campaigning 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. Last week, you get very little sleep, um, and it's you know it's that final push, and and there's a lot of adrenaline involved, and and you know you 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 tend to get that extra energy, and um, and I think most most. Uh, uh, candidates in a, in a close election feel that they have the momentum. And so they want to continue to work harder and work harder the last until, uh, you know, until the polls close. Yeah. So it's a crazy time. Yeah. <laughs> I bet, you know, as a, a former governor who has run statewide campaigns and you've been closely associated uh, with national figures as well. Just you've been able to see. In fact, I was I saw you on a documentary the other day. Uh, I think it was on CNN about the first ladies. Uh, yeah, uh, the series yeah, are running. Kim and I were at uh, the White House with the Obamas. That's right. Yeah. Uh, they they used that that old footage uh, in the documentary about 
Michelle Obama in the First Lady series. And mm-hmm. We watched that also, and we were shocked to see that. <laughs> <laughs> we had no idea. No one, you know, no one got my permission. But, uh, uh, no, it was, it was very nice. Yeah, very nice. It's, it's a great we series. Were, right? right behind the president and first lady. Yeah. Well, as somebody who has, has run a campaign and has certainly got relationships with people who've run national campaigns, you know, one of the things that's always struck me, and you mentioned uh, your daughters a while ago, about the pressure that families have uh, when a spouse is running for office. You know, and I know, you know, we've talked to Kim about this. Uh, you know, what... What kind of pressures do families feel, you know, during the race, after the race? I mean, I just, it's got to be unimaginable. Yeah. And, you know, I, I suppose in a way it's hard for me to put myself in my children's places. Um, they could probably tell you better than me, but it's very difficult. It's difficult on, on the entire family. Uh, from from the spouse to the to the kids, um, there's obviously during the campaign. Um, in my personal experience, Kim and I were on the road a lot. We were gone a lot, and we had to rely on grandparents to uh, to take care of our children, our three daughters, um, a, a lot of a lot of that time, and that was. You know, that alone was just very tough because Kim and I felt really guilty. I mean, we, you know, on the one hand, we made the decision to run and we decided we were going to run the best campaign that we could possibly run. But on the other hand, we felt really guilty about having to leave our children with grandparents so much during the during the campaign. And I'm sure that had an impact on them. I mean, fortunately, they've they've now grown up and, and all seem to be fairly well adjusted. But um, I, you know, I know that, that, that had to have had, uh, some kind of negative impact on them. And, and, and then of course, after you are, if you're fortunate enough to get elected as we were, um, there's a whole different set of, of, uh, of difficulties and stressors, um, because you're, you're as the first family, you're in this, this, uh, public fishbowl and mm-hmm. everybody is scrutinizing your behavior. And so, um, you know, on the one hand, when I remember these, these uh, several talks we had with our, with our three daughters uh, who were uh, 13, 11, and five wow. when, I, when, when I was elected and we were sworn into office. And, and so we had several discussions with them about – you know, this this doesn't change who you are. You need to be yourselves. You're still Leah, Laney, and Bailey. Um, some kids may treat you differently. You know, don't you know whatever you do, don't let this go to your head. You're not better than anyone else. Um, that kind of discussion. But also, we had to have the discussion about everybody's watching what you do, and you're a teenager, and teenagers do stupid things. <laughs> Try not to do that because, <laughs> you know, in this position, everybody's going to be looking and somebody's going to talk about it or put it on social media or, or on the front page of the paper. So, you know, there, there are so many different pressures to, uh, to deal with. And, and really what we wanted was just for the media to, to focus on me right. and Kim and leave our kids out of it. And for the most part, the media was very good about that. Good. And I'm sure when you gave that speech to your daughters, uh, you got the same look I did when I gave it to my boys. They rolled their eyes at the governor of Oklahoma, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. No, I mean, you pegged it. <laughs> That's exactly right. I don't know that it did any good, but, you know, and I felt better for having said it. Uh, that's right. That's exactly right. I, so I have four children in the span that you're talking about there, and I am trying to imagine if I would have been more scared about the 13 year old or the five year old because those <laughs> five year olds are a real big question mark. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> actually, actually, we were more concerned about our middle daughter, Lainey, who was 11 at the time. She was the one who would who would say anything at any time, and you just never knew what what she was going to do. So we had to have a couple of extra discussions. 
Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) Okay, so let's shift gears just a little bit. Um, I'm guessing that this topic uh, relates pretty closely to the others. You ran and won as a Democrat in a ruby red state, as folks love to call us here in Oklahoma. Um, As a Democrat, how did you relate to voters and what values did you share with the constituents? You know, I I believe uh, in Oklahoma as in other states, whether they're dark red states or dark blue states, uh, that by and large, the voters aren't partisan. Uh, They may be registered with one party or another, but they're not, you know, they're not bitter partisans. Um, And they, and, and, and voters want someone that they can relate to um, someone and someone that they trust. Um, And, and some people, you know, have that ability, uh, and and others just don't. Um, and and you can see it in some of these national races. Um, you know, going back to uh, 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 you know Bush uh, Bush W. Uh, and um, and Gore back in two thousand, mm-hmm. the, the the election that that went on and on and on. Um, George W. Bush was. You know, he was just uh, more of a people's person than Al Gore, who was a little more robotic. Uh, same thing uh, in, in the in Bush's reelection. Uh, John Kerry was a good candidate, a smart guy, but just you know, he was kind of he was he came off as kind of an elitist, um, and uh, and that's just a couple of examples. They they abound throughout history. But I think voters want to be able to look at, at the candidate and say, I like that person. I can relate to that person. I, I, I trust that person. <laughs> and, um, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's, I think that's why I won. I think the voters, even in a, in a very red state, and I took on the 800-pound political gorilla who had been pretty much anointed the, the next governor, um, I was I was very much the long shot, but you know I brought this young family. I mean, my family really lifted me up. My wife and my three daughters, um, they they really carried me on their shoulders during this campaign. And my kids, my kids uh, starred in ads. I mean, they made ads, and um, uh, you know, I I my my strategy was just to be true to myself. So I wanted to show the voters that first of all, I was a family man of faith. And second, that, uh, I was all about education, mm-hmm. education. I was the education candidate. Mm-hmm. And frankly, the, uh, the, the post-election polling indicated that, uh, my Republican opponent and I were we're pretty close on most of the issues on the economy. He was a few points ahead of me on healthcare. I was a few points ahead of him, but when it came to education, I outpaced him by 34 percentage points mm-hmm. in the post-election polling. And, and I, you know, I, I think those were the factors that led to my victory. Yeah. yeah. Now you mentioned, so, and, and, and again, you know, I, I think, it's it's about the voters. It's about the people. Right. They don't necessarily want a bitter partisan. They want somebody that that, that they can trust and that they can relate to. And um, and I, I think that's that that's important. And and that should dictate how you behave after you're elected. Right. Uh, which sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes people act very differently when they're seeking election than they do after they get elected. And Governor, I want to just say amen, amen, amen to what you're saying, and I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, Likeability and connecting with constituents on a very personal and human level. But we still have Trump, and this is an anomaly to me because even his supporters don't really like him. (laughs) No, in fact— Mitch, I have to interrupt really quick because I was raised in a very um, conservative household. My parents were very protective. And back in 2015, mid-2015, I asked my parents, I said, if I was friends with one of 
Trump's daughters. Would you let me go to their house to stay the night? Would you trust me as, you know, a child, a teenager around their family? And they said no. (laughs) And then they voted for him. Right. It doesn't make any sense. Is what Uh, we're, is it an anomaly, uh, Brad? I mean, what? both both of our United States senators in Oklahoma are Republican, and um, I've heard at least one of them say, um, you know, I wouldn't want my children to to listen to our president right. mm-hmm. and to see how he acts and to, and to see how he behaves. But I still support him because of his policies or whatever. And, you know, I just don't get it. Uh, frankly, I have always prided myself in being a very good judge of character and understanding others. I mean, I think that's why I was successful as governor, because I reached out to Democrats and Republicans. I wanted everybody's opinion. I realized nobody has a monopoly. No party has a monopoly on all of the good ideas. And, and, and it just, it, it just made sense to me. It just absolutely made sense to me that we would work together and build mm-hmm. consensus and and do not what's best for a party or amassing power for a particular party, but do what's best for the people. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I just see that lacking in in our current president, frankly. I mean, I'll just call it what it is. Uh, but I've always prided myself in being able to sort of look at you and um, and and understand your perspective. I get where you're coming from. I may not agree with you. I may think you're absolutely wrong in your perspective, but I can understand it. And and with this president, I, I cannot understand where from from where his supporters are coming. I just don't. I just don't. I don't understand, frankly. Right. Um, he, uh, I mean, I don't want to start start calling names, but you know, I, I, you know, disregard all of the 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 moral and ethical issues surrounding this mm-hmm. president because they are plentiful, and we could spend all day talking about them. But but I think he's he's just dangerous, and that he has attacked the rule of law in the United States he has attacked the very founding principles of our democracy. And, um, and he stoked up a, uh, a division. I mean, there, we were already divided when he was elected in this country, but it's just gotten worse under his leadership. And unless we, we turn this, this uh, ship around pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're headed for really difficult times in the in the United States, yeah. and um, so I I don't really understand where the Trump supporters come from. Um, my view is, uh, you know, I mean, given all of his um, his faults, uh, that. You know, whatever it is, if, if you like him because he names conservative Supreme Court justices or if you like him because you, you generally agree with his economic policies, mm-hmm. um, I think you have to sell your soul to the devil to, to be for him, so to right. speak. I mean, especially as a Christian, I, I don't understand. <laughs> this guy does not practice in any form or fashion my understanding of of uh, Christian values, and and so so how a a professed Christian could say I support this man to me means you're you're going to say okay I'm just going to overlook all these terrible things mm-hmm. that he's done <clears throat> because I like this the conservative Supreme Court justices that right. he he'll hill name or i like his economic policies and and i don't think that's i think that's the incorrect approach i think i think we can have both we can have somebody that you can can agree with on policy who also has you know unquestioned uh moral and ethical values Mm -hmm. 
and and uh, you know why do why are we settling for uh, so much less? Yeah. We have certainly fallen a great deal from just twelve years ago when candidate Obama and Senator McCain ran for president, and I'll just never forget that moment when there was a lady in the audience with Senator McCain who was going after Obama, calling him a Muslim, a terrorist, and the late senator took the microphone from her and said, you're just dead wrong. He is a kind, decent man. And I remember when John McCain died, Chuck Todd on uh, uh, um, NBC, one of the NBC news shows, was talking about his time with McCain. He said, you know, one thing about Senator McCain is that when he looked across the aisle, he saw an opponent, a political opponent, but he never saw an enemy. And this president, when he looks across the aisle, when he looks across the street into Lafayette Square, Square and sees peaceful protesters, he sees enemies that have to be obliterated. And you mentioned you know, the president's uh, brand of Christianity that does not seem to be on display at all, but it was on display that moment. That epitomized to me what he thinks about faith, that he could use tactics and use the United States military and law enforcement to clear peaceful protesters, gas them, shoot uh, rubber bullets at them, to clear a square so he could walk over to a church, hold up a Bible for a photo op. It is all a facade. And when I think of uh, you know fundamentalist Christians who support him when they will you know, quietly say, yeah, we don't like his language, we don't like his tweets, but he does appoint all these judges. And so he is God's chosen person, you know, to, to, to be in, in this place. It just drives me bonkers. And so I'm getting to a question, believe it or not, because you and I, uh, you, know, you and I were on a trip together uh, in West Africa to Ghana. It was a great, amazing trip. Kim came along with us. But we were talking one night at the dinner table, and you talked about the difficulty you had as governor after being elected, that some of your harshest critics were Christians. And as a person of faith, that really hurt you. Can you kind of talk us through that a little bit? I mean, I mean, Christians can be really mean to other Christians. Well, that's true. That's true. And very, very judgmental. Um, I... There, I, um, I reached out to the Muslim community. They actually reached out to me, and 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 I reached back and said I would be happy to sit down and and visit with you. And so we had this meeting, and they came from all across the state. These were doctors and lawyers and engineers and architects. They were all professionals, school teachers. Um, They came from Oklahoma City and Tulsa and all around the state of Oklahoma. uh, Probably 150 of them came to this meeting, and they said that we feel like we are second-class citizens. Even though I'm a doctor in the largest hospital in the state, I still feel like from our government we are not being acknowledged. And I said, let's change that. Let's change that. What can we do? And um, they had a couple of suggestions. And so this was in my first year in office, and I, I um, established uh, an iftar dinner uh, during Ramadan, and we invited the Muslim community from all across the state. We had uh, – it, it was kind of an interfaith gathering, actually. I mean, we had uh, you know Christians, Jews – and Muslims, and and we brought uh, faith leaders from each of those faiths to 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 bring a message mm-hmm. at the iftar dinner, and I did that all eight years uh, I was in office. Uh, I also established a, a governor's advisory committee so that they, you know, they had kind of a an official prominent prominent role. Well, believe it or not, some of the very worst hate mail. That's the only way I can describe it. Mm-hmm. That I received came from um, I'm a Baptist. Came from Baptist preachers in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. um, and I can't even I won't even 
describe what some of them said. Oh, I can't imagine. But, uh, it, it was very, very hurtful. And, um, you know, all I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't promoting, uh, Islam. Um, I wasn't taking a, a, a political stance or a religious stance. I was trying to be inclusive. I was bringing all trying of the to faith leaders together. Be a governor and, of the entire people of the state of Oklahoma and just not a few. Right. <laughs> just the governor of Democrats. Right, right. Uh, or, and some Democrats, I wouldn't want to know. But yeah, that was, you're right. And mm. and by the way, that was a, a wonderful, wonderful trip to Africa. And oh, was such so. Amazing. A moving experience, and I, I really appreciate you including me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting, this kind of line of questioning that we're going down. You know, a lot of my more conservative friends uh, who are people of faith really struggle with the idea that a, a Christian can be a Democrat. Have you, have you heard that criticism? And how can you be a, a Christian and registered Democrat at the same time? Some people feel like that is just mutually exclusive. Yeah. Well, I just think that's the most ridiculous assertion I've ever heard. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, my goodness, I know. I, I mean, to say that that you you can't be a Christian and registered Democrat is, um, I mean, it's just false. It's just right. false. Sure. Most of the 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 Democrats that I know are are good Christians and. Um, do you think, just, Brad, man. do you think in those instances when those criticisms are leveled, because we're still hearing it today, you can't vote for Joe Biden and be a Christian. Do you think in many of those cases, those individuals and groups have replaced their theology with a political ideology? They no longer let the scriptures guide their conscience. They let their political right. ideology guide their conscience and then try to use the Bible to justify those political ideologies? Yeah, I do think so, because, uh, you know, you can't be a Christian and a Democrat is a uh, political talking point that, that Republicans have espoused for some time, mm-hmm. um, and it's just wrong. I mean, the, the most uh, uh, upstanding moral Christian president we've ever had in the history of our country, I would dare say, uh, was Jimmy Carter, mm-hmm. uh, who at 96 years old or, or however old he is, is getting close to 100, is still out you know, building houses for Habitat for Humanity. He, he was, um, you know, he, 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 he was uh, an upstanding uh, moral and ethical leader. And I wish we had more people like that. I, I really do. Yeah. Um, I, am, I am just astonished at, at our current president and the falsehoods that he tells. I mean, I think he's pathological. I, I, I'm not even sure he realizes that he's, that he's not telling the truth. Right. Um, sometimes it just seems like my grandmother used to say, sometimes you you know, it feels like you're telling a lie when you know the truth is even better. <laughs> and it's just, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, the truth's not going to get you in trouble. This is ridiculous. You're just telling a lie to tell a lie. So, uh, Well, uh, Governor, thank you so much for, for being on the pod today. We know that you're a busy guy and uh, got a lot going on uh, in your world. But before we let you go, Autumn's got one last question that she wants to, to ask. And you'll be glad to know it's not going to be asked who you're voting for or who you think's going to win the election. <laughs> what you think. No, I'm just <laughs> our, so our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of everything we've talked about and with the election on the horizon, what is your more to tell? Um, all the experts tell us that we are not likely to know who the president, the next president of the United States will be on election night, November 3rd. And that's because of uh, so many um, absentee mail-in ballots uh, due to the the pandemic um, and because some states have extended the time period for counting those ballots ballots to a number of days 
after the election, like up to 72 hours after the election, um, if they're postmarked by election day. And um, so the experts don't think that we'll know. And, and we may not know. We may very well not know. But my little, my little uh, tidbit here is that watch Florida. Um, Florida understands how to handle mass mail-in ballots because they have a, a large senior population. They've got a very good system. They will likely have all of their votes counted. They can start counting the votes, not tabulating, not, not posting results, but, but feeding them into machines as they come in. So most of the mail-in ballots will be counted by election night. So we should know the results of Florida on election night. And if Joe Biden wins Florida, even if Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin and all these other battleground states are out and we don't know the results, if Joe Biden wins Florida, you can pretty much count uh, on him winning the election. Uh, there's just there's virtually no path to victory for Trump without Florida. So you heard it here. You heard it here first. Watch Florida on election night, uh, right. and see see how that turns out. So, Governor, thank you so much uh, for spending uh, your day with us. Uh, the Honorable Brad Henry, former Governor of Oklahoma, it has been a pure joy. Thanks for being on the pod today. It has been a great pleasure as well on this end. Uh, thank you, Autumn and Mitch. Uh, always good to talk to you, my friend. Good. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Uh, next week, we will be back and we will either have a new president or President Trump will have won the election. So we'll find out next week. Until then, remember, keep living good faith.